Do you think that existing product providers are going to grow the advisor protection market? I asked that question at a speech at the recent Financial Services Expo event in Glasgow, and I thought I'd ask it again today on the podcast. This week, I've had to postpone the interview I had scheduled, and rather than take a week off, I thought I might try a different approach. So today, it's just me and the microphone. So, do I think that existing product providers are going to grow the advisor protection market? In the short term, no, I don't. I believe the only hope for protection market growth is the social financial advisor. I explain why in episode 35 of the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. Welcome. You're listening to the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. For each episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. So let's get on with the show and here's your host, Roger Edwards. Let me ask that question again. Do you think that existing product providers are going to grow the advisor protection market? I don't think so. What about new entrants? Well, we know that Scottish widows are going to reappear in 2015. What about Canada Life? What about Cigna? Are they going to grow the protection market? I don't think so. Having been out of big corporate life for a year now, I believe that the only hope for protection market growth is a social financial advisor. So what is a social financial advisor? I asked a few people when I was putting together this paper what they thought a social financial advisor was. And the best answer I heard was, it's one that enjoys a pint after work. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. But for me, it's an advisor that uses the internet and social media to promote themselves as experts in the local area. When people ask questions about finance and protection, they'll find the answers from that social financial advisor. It's not just that, though. Advisors will have to increase the amount of time they spend on protection. Richard Verdin recently wrote in Money Marketing that to substantially grow the protection market, we need to increase the number of selling oblique advising hours spent on protection. And it isn't going to be easy. Let's face it, the protection market has been pretty flat for the last decade. We had a great boost to sales at the end of 2012 because of the gender directive closing down sale, but since then, sales have actually reduced. According to Swiss Re's Term and Health Watch report 2014, term assurance sales were down 17.4% year-on-year, critical illness cover was down 21%, and income protection was down 24%. I've heard that the figures for 2014 will be similarly bleak. Two reasons caused this to happen. Firstly, the gender directive increased prices when it harmonised male and female rates, leading to less rebroking. I think things have changed since then because the prices have started to come down again, but that was a major factor. Secondly, the focus of 2013 was on RDR, when many in the industry were getting their new paperwork done and focusing on pensions and investments. And now, of course, MMR means advisors have to spend almost double the amount of time on mortgage paperwork. Protection has been squeezed out. So after a blinding finish to 2012, providers were left stunned by how much business fell off a cliff at the start of 2013. And what did we do to compensate? What we always do, more of the same. 
as if we thought that this time it would create a different outcome. Now they say that the definition of madness is to keep doing the same things and yet expect different results. And yet providers' response was more price competition and more complexity. Now in some respects, all of these extra options that companies put onto protection policies are good for financial advisors because clients need explanations. Complexity requires advice, but complexity doesn't engage clients or grow markets. So how do we stimulate growth in the protection market given all these challenges? How do we get people to realise how important it is to protect their finances? How do we get people to overcome their perceptions of the protection industry? How do we get people to trust us? I believe that the key to future success in the protection market is the financial advisor. I've always believed this, but it's the social financial advisor that will make the difference. They have to market themselves more as someone local who can help solve life's problems by answering the questions people have about protection and finance. But most importantly, it's about the stories advisors can tell. Now, if you think back to the last great surge in protection market growth during the late 1990s and the early 2000s, we're now in the middle of a wave of claims coming from the time we sold the most protection business. Anyone who's been writing protection for more than five years will now have a good number of claims paid to talk about. Most advisors will have had the satisfaction of handing over a cheque to a client who is facing financial difficulty as a result of illness or death in the family. What we need to do is to leverage the positive messages that come from the stories, and we have to get hundreds of positive stories out there. Telling stories about protection claims actually reminds me of an experience I had when I was out on the road with Duncan Bannatyne. This was when I was with Scottish Provident, and it was the Scottish Provident Next Level campaign, and we were doing presentations to advisors across the country. We started in London, took in Birmingham, Manchester, Glasgow and Edinburgh. Of course, the main draw of the show for advisors was Duncan Bannatyne himself, and his talk of building his multi-million pound business empire of all people's homes and fitness clubs, and of course, stories about Dragon's Den. But they had to listen to me for 15 minutes first. I started my presentation by telling them how passionate I was about protection. Indeed, how passionate everyone at Scottish Provident was about protection. I then concluded my speech with the story about a little boy and his father who came to visit me at Scottish Provident to thank me personally for the cheque that we had paid to them when his wife and the little boy's mother had been diagnosed with cancer. Sadly, she'd later died. It's a story I've told on many occasions, and I often find that it brings tears to people's eyes. It also brings tears to my eyes just telling it. After the event had finished, Duncan insisted that we go for a drink and a meal nearby. In the pub, Duncan complimented me on my speech. I was initially very pleased with this, that someone as famous as the dragon from the den was complimenting me in such a way. However, he then went on to say to me as follows, So you're passionate about protection, are you? Let me get this right. What you're saying is you are passionate about an insurance product. That's bollocks. When I listened to the story you told of the little boy and his father, and it was a fabulously engaging story, by the way. I realise that you are genuinely passionate about what you do, but you are not seriously passionate about an insurance product. You are passionate about paying out large sums of money to people who need it. You are passionate about making a difference in people's lives. You are passionate about helping people who have cancer, who have lost a loved one. That's what you should tell people you're passionate about, not insurance, because insurance is bloody boring. 
and you need to rise above that and focus on the stories. And of course, Duncan was right. And if you think about it, less than 10 years ago, telling a story was actually quite difficult. You could tell it to your mates in the pub, you could tell it to your clients in the office, but if you wanted to broadcast that story, you'd have to write a book or write an article for a magazine or newspaper. You'd have to get yourself on a radio or TV show. And let's face it, most radio and TV shows only want to hear the negative stories about financial services. And that was it. Now, of course, we all carry around high-definition TV studios in our pockets. They're called iPhones or Samsung Galaxies or HTC Ones. And we can publish our stories on the internet with amazing ease. We can set up blog websites in minutes. We can publish articles on LinkedIn and Google+. We can tell our stories on Facebook and publish shorter versions on Twitter. We can create radio programs that people can download from iTunes. All of these social media platforms give us the ability to broadcast our stories and people will listen or watch or read them when they're ready to. It's actually quite easy. Getting the stories that we tell out to a wider audience is key to overcoming the issues that people have with protection products and, of course, growing the market. And this is why I believe that the social financial advisor is the key to protection market growth. Before I go into that in a little bit more detail, let me just tell you a little bit more about what I have experienced since leaving what I call big corporate life. As most of you know, until the autumn of 2013, I was Managing Director of Bright Grey and Scottish Provident. Indeed, I was one of the founder directors of Bright Grey. As a result of changes within the Royal London Group, I decided to take voluntary redundancy and start my own marketing business. That meant for the first time in 25 years, I no longer had to toe the corporate line. Now I can say anything I like about anybody and about any company. It's a bit weird, that not having to find fault with what a competitor is doing. So I can now say that I genuinely loved Aviva's Paul Whitehouse TV adverts. I no longer have to side with the critics who said Aviva ruined Downton Abbey for them. Or, being a fitness instructor on the side, I can say that I love the Vitality product with its fitness links. I don't have to think of a sales aid to rebut them. Sometimes it's good taking a huge step back from something you've been involved with for such a long time. You'll have heard the phrase, can't see the wood for the trees. What I felt I had done for the first time in over a decade was to get into a helicopter and fly so high up that I could see the whole forest and beyond. This is what I see from my virtual helicopter. I see that many protection products available today cover over 70 critical illness conditions, 23 ABI plus definitions and more partial payments on top. They have a 32-page application form and a 90-page policy document. 90 pages! The owner's manual for my car isn't that long. From my helicopter, I see an application process that is long-winded and slow. We've never solved the problem of GP reports, and no one has the guts to dump them. Why has the application process become so complicated? Well, it's a symptom of price competition. And it's a symptom of the price competitive position that we find ourselves in. 20 years ago, we were accepting 94% of cases at ordinary rates. Now, some companies are accepting as little as 75% of cases at ordinary rates. I recently heard one provider is down as low as 65%. Can that be true? Disappointing 6% of customers was bad enough, but 35 Imagine going into a shop and being told that every fourth item that you bought was actually more expensive than it said on the display, would you be happy? 
Enough's enough, in my opinion. We need to sort out this problem now. From my helicopter, I see a higher number of claims paid than ever, but still a big problem when a claim is declined for what seems to be a small print reason. The media, and now social media, love a decline claim. Even if we paid out 99.9% .9 of claims, Watchdog and the Daily Mail would still have a pop at us for declining the 0.01% that remains. From my helicopter high above the forest, I see an increasingly complex market. Incremental innovations lay more complexity on an already complicated proposition. Did you ever think we'd see a day when products had more non-standard ABI definitions than standard ones? Whilst these innovations allow companies to continue to compete within a flat market, they do not promote growth of that market. I wonder how long we can continue in this way. The structure of the market perpetuates these issues as well, doesn't it? Compliance means we have to prove why we wouldn't recommend the most comprehensive product or the cheapest rate. And what about compliance teams that reject innovative products if there's nothing to compare them against? I recently interviewed Peter LeBeau for the Marketing Protection and Finance podcast, if you remember, and I asked him what was the one thing he'd like to see changed in the industry. He replied that he wanted to see more creative people with innovative ideas. Personally, I think those people do exist in companies. They're all over the place. It's just that the compliance process and the bureaucracy we face squeezes the creativity out of them so that they either give up or they move on. I'd be interested in your views, but I don't think that we can reverse ourselves out of the complex products that we have developed for the advisor space. In the advisor space, the illness race will continue. But there might eventually be a good outcome, though. I can actually see a time when all the ABI plusing and partial payments are over and we are left with simple diagnosis definitions. So it would be something like diagnosis of heart attack, full stop. No complexity, no exclusions, no technical medical language. Diagnosis of heart attack, full stop. What I don't see from my helicopter are any protection products as apps on smartphones. I don't see short-form underwriting with instant acceptance or protection products that fit modern life. Maybe instead of income protection, we should do a deal with all the utility companies and the supermarkets and create a safety net of family goods protected if you can't work. What I think is absolutely essential is a faster, slicker application process that gets people on risk almost instantly. Expecting people to wait three months is not good enough. There will be a cost to reducing the number of questions on the application form, but I think that for the extra couple of quid, it'll be worth it to speed things up. After all, we're all used to spending a little more to speed other things up. Airport check-in, for example, security queues, VIP lines in cinemas. From my helicopter, I see more providers going on to try and sell direct to consumer. I personally don't think that TV advertising like this is enough to engage the public because they have too many prejudices about protection insurance. They don't trust insurance companies to pay out. They think that we are going to rip them off. Witty and expensively produced TV ads are not going to overcome those prejudices and make people buy protection direct. I just don't think it's enough. Why? You know that protection providers pay 97% of protection insurance claims. Yep, according to new stats from the ABI, the figure is now 97%. That is fantastic. We need to be shouting that from the rooftops. The scary thing is that, according to research conducted by LifeSearch and more recent research conducted by Drewbury Insurance and The Syndicate, 
suggests that the public thinks that we only pay 50% of claims. Why is there such a wide gap between perception and reality? I was recently on holiday, and as usual, I was browsing the books in WH Smith's before the flight out. A book caught my eye called The Art of Thinking Clearly by Rolf DeBelli. I read a couple of chapters and was immediately hooked enough to buy it. So what's that got to do with the public thinking that companies only pay 50% of the claims? Well, The Art of Thinking Clearly gave me an insight as to what's going on here. The 50% claims paid figure prevails because of the way humans think and the way we filter information. The chapter in the book about confirmation bias was a revelation. So what's confirmation bias? It's a tendency of people to seek information that confirms their beliefs. People gather or remember information selectively and then interpret it in a biased way. The effect is stronger for emotionally charged issues and for deeply entrenched beliefs. They also tend to view ambiguous evidence as supporting their existing view. So if someone has heard that companies only pay 50% of protection insurance claims, despite the fact that they can find many arguments to the contrary on the internet, they'll select the articles that confirm their viewpoint and deliberately or subconsciously ignore those that conflict with their view. You can now see why it's so hard to convince them of the truth. Their belief is so deeply entrenched that they will only acknowledge the information that confirms their viewpoint. Once again, we come back to the stories that we can tell. The more positive stories that we put out there, the more likely it is that they will begin to win over the negative ones. We need more positive stories than ever about successful claims and how they've rescued people's financial affairs. Your stories, the social financial advisor's stories. To summarise my helicopter view then, we know that providers are going to continue to evolve and complicate their products but probably do very little to grow the market directly. Others will try the D2C route and through TV advertising may create a little more recognition and demand. But I still come back to where I started. It's all up to the social financial advisor. How can the social financial advisor grow the protection market? You can do it by telling positive stories so that more people knock on your door looking for protection advice. Your website is key to this. Your website is more than just a list of your services. It's more than just an online business card. It gives you two major opportunities to stand out. First, it's your opportunity to broadcast all those positive stories to existing customers and more importantly, to new ones. Every positive story that you have collected is a potential article on your website, or it could be a video, or it could be an audio podcast, or an infographic. This is all positive content, and the more content you have on your website, the more likely you are to show up in search when someone comes looking for answers to protection questions. Secondly, it's a place where you can answer those questions. These days, 90%, if not more, of buying decisions start with a Google search people actually type in full questions into Google. Try making a list of the last 25 questions that people asked you about protection, or any financial product for that matter. Each answer is a potential article on your website, or a potential video, or a potential audio, or a potential infographic. And even better, when people ask questions, they'll do location-specific searches. For example, where can I find answers about critical illness definitions in Liverpool? Content like this will create a web presence for your business, and that is vital, because for most consumers, financial services is of no interest at all until suddenly it is the most important thing on their minds. 
then they might phone you or email you for an appointment. Your website becomes your content hub and you can use social media to broadcast that information. Social media can appear daunting, but it needn't be. Think of your web space as a hub with the social media platforms that are relevant to you as spokes. It's not difficult or expensive to set all this up. You can use WordPress to set up a website within minutes. Check out wordpress.org. It's so easy to use, you can write articles and pages and publish them from your iPhone or your iPad. You can design your own infographics and other impressive visuals at canva.com. You can plug a microphone into your phone and record a video or a podcast. Great examples of this from the IFA community, first of all, is Pete Matthew and the Meaningful Money podcast. It's a weekly broadcast answering consumer questions about finance and money issues. Over a quarter of a million downloads so far. It generates client leads and it increases Pete's profile. Martin Bamford is another example. He created a whole video show around the subject of baby boomers. He showed Boom Docu in clubs and theatres around the UK. Also check out Jay Bear's Jay Today videos. Nothing to do with financial services at all, just daily three-minute videos addressing topical marketing issues, all filmed on an iPhone 6 and hosted on YouTube. The future of marketing isn't big TV adverts that people skip through using Sky Plus. It's business people telling positive stories and answering people's questions. Here's a story about one of the people who claimed on a critical illness product that he had with Bright Grey, the other company I used to work for. His name was Howard, age 48. He was married with three children. He ran a print and design agency, which was very successful. He had a mortgage and business debt as well. One night, he'd set the alarm to go off in the early hours as he was currently bidding on an eBay item. When he woke up, he felt dizzy and lightheaded. When he tried to get out of bed, he fell to the floor with a crash. Not wanting to wake his wife, he crawled into the computer room and tried to use the desk to stand up. It was at this point that he realised that his legs were not going to work properly. Howard had a stroke that night. Fortunately, it was one that he was able to recover from, but it took six months of intense physiotherapy and quite a tortuous exercise regime. Of course, he could not spend any time with his business during this period of recovery, and it fell to his wife to run the home and the business during his absence. It was his financial advisor who reminded him that he had a critical illness policy. Howard made a claim and Bright Grey paid out just short of a quarter of a million pounds. On top of that, Howard received extra physiotherapy that the bright grey product supplied with its helping hand feature. This cleared his mortgage, his business debts and gave him extra on top to allow the family to keep on surviving financially. Once recovered and back at work, Howard became a staunch advocate of protection insurance. In fact, he approached bright grey and asked if he could become a spokesperson. What we did at the time, and, and admittedly this is nearly 10 years ago now, was hire a film crew and a design agency to create a DVD about Howard's experience. The DVD became one of the most popular marketing items Bright Grey ever produced. But even though it was only 10 years ago, we made the DVD before the advent of modern digital technology and social media platforms. We paid probably about £50,000 to produce the DVD, package it up and mail it to all of our advisor contacts. Today, of course, I could have invited Howard along to my office, sat him in front of a camcorder or an iPhone 6, recorded the video 
uploaded it to YouTube, created a page on the website to showcase the video, and then used Twitter, LinkedIn, Google+, Instagram, whatever, to promote the video. You might think that we would get much better quality by hiring a film crew for £50,000. However, the quality of video we can produce on a smartphone these days is broadcast quality. Go to a camcorder or a slightly bigger camera and you get even better. Howard's story would cost less than £1,000 to put together today and broadcast possibly less than that. How many Howards do you have right now? How many Howards have you handed over a claim check to? The key to growing the protection market is the social financial advisor. The financial advisor who tells stories and answers questions and through the internet and social media becomes the go-to expert in the local community. listening to the marketing protection and finance podcast do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash mpaf for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed if you enjoyed the show please leave a review on itunes simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash itunes and leave a review If you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay? 